Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, where we are talking about a study about diversity, equity, and inclusion as a key retention strategy today with the super awesome Marcus Sawyer, who is a global Fortune 500 executive and the founder of EQ Community. Join us for this awesome conversation. Welcome to Empowering Workplaces, a show for everyone who wants to make work better and more fulfilling. We are your hosts, culture designer Maddie Grant and organizational psychologist Sonia Lucina. Join us in today's awesome conversation. Hey, Marcus, we are so excited to have you here and so excited to talk about this study. Uh, and before we dig in, you know, tell us more about yourself for our audience. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. It's great to be here and obviously reconnect with Sanya and really excited to talk about the results from this report. My background, I've spent the last 18 years or so in HR tech and recruiting and started out at a company called careerbuilder.com, which is actually where Sanya and I met many years ago now. And then I went on to lead digital transformation for the ADECO group, which meant I was buying building and investing in HR tech companies and operated some as CEO. And then after that, I just saw that there was more of a need to really help people from different backgrounds, kind of such as myself, get access to opportunities. So got a small group of friends, thought about what we could do, and then decided that the only way to make change is to do something and then created an organization called EQ Community that's really focused on connecting people from diverse backgrounds and giving them access to opportunities that they might not have seen otherwise. So that's a bit about my journey. And again, like really excited to be here and just talk through this study and some of the learnings that we have. So thanks for having me. Oh, and it's so fun to have you here, Marcus. I love that we've had an opportunity to reconnect and work on a project that's such a passion project for both of us um, about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because both of us had this hunch that there's a lot of work to be done. And we saw some really phenomenal things in our data and a lot of great opportunities. So I'm really happy to have an opportunity to discuss that with you today. Um, for some context, we actually just recently finished a study. It was published in January. The data was collected in October of last year, 2022. And we surveyed 1,000 knowledge workers across the United States. So a variety of industries, a variety of years of experience levels and of course demographic backgrounds because we dug into um, the data to see what are the differences and, and how are people feeling and where are opportunities so certainly for people who are focusing on diversity equity and inclusion a lot of the questions that we've gotten in our work is you know where what what should i think about today um all of the professionals or the vast majority at least who are in this area know there's a lot of work to be done, but are generally looking for some guidance and some validation around where is really the greatest impact they can have. And so we'll start sharing some data for discussion. Um, there's a lot, we can't cover it all in one podcast, but there were just a few uh, insights and data points that really jumped out at us as we were doing this work. So the first one is that out of the thousand people that we surveyed, 42% actually said that they were not satisfied with how much action is taken in fostering in diverse culture in their organization. And so the greatest lack of satisfaction was actually between Black and African-American workers at 50%. So overall, 42% are not satisfied. 
but for Black and African Americans, that that number really stuck out to 50%. So using that as a baseline, saying that we know a lot of organizations are thinking about these efforts. Some organizations have dedicated positions. Others at least have it as a part of a position. What are you seeing that organizations are doing today? Like, what are you seeing there could be some of the key opportunities that they could be doing better or differently to, to move the needle on this number internally? So firstly, just to talk about the number as well, because I think sometimes when you have numbers that are under like 50%, it sounds like it's not, <laughs> depending on how you want to frame it. But yeah. even recently, we've seen that companies have been letting people go and there's been a lot of layoffs. And those layoffs have been under and around 10%. And it's had a significant impact, like 6%, yeah. 10%, especially when you've got 100,000 people in your organization, that's 10,000 people. So Think yeah. of it in that way. If there's 46% of people and you've got 100,000 people in your organization, that's 46,000 people that are not happy. Yeah. So I, I think that it will have a significant impact on the way that you operate and getting the best out of individuals. I think part of it is, as we talked about a few times, giving people a voice yeah. because if you don't have a voice and you can't share kind of maybe how you're feeling about a certain situation, you don't have the forums to do that and you don't have the structure in place in order to do that, it makes it difficult for any change to take place. And I think we've seen this kind of wave of DNI being something that was trendy after 2022 and the momentum has started to, I suppose, scale back. And if that continues, you're going to have more and more unhappy employees. And as you know, if somebody feels good about something, they'll tell another person, somebody feels bad about something, they'll probably tell five or six people. So mm -hmm. I think it's really about giving people that voice and that forum, but then putting action behind it to improve those numbers. That was actually my, um, my initial thought on seeing this number, because there's so much talk about DE&I, and it makes me wonder whether it's still... Um, mostly lip service, or it's just not actually resulting in, you know, people feeling more engaged or, you know, higher levels of, of hiring um, more diverse employees, you know, that kind of thing, because we've, it, it has been a hot topic, um, at least in the US, of course, you know, since George Floyd, and there's a, there's a lot of kind of cultural implications to why it's become more and more important, even though, we know it's not a new thing, um, but it was a little depressing to think, oh, you know, 42% are still like not satisfied. Is that like, is it because people are kind of checking the box like, oh, we've put out a DEI statement, but that's it, you know? Yeah. So, so I, I think when anybody or organizations, they make a pledge, it doesn't mean they've deployed, deployed the capital. Yeah. yeah. So right. I think, really doing some auditing on who has said they're going to allocate $10 million and then what have they done with that capital? So that's one thing. I think the other thing as well is it takes time, right? Cause it's systemic. Yeah. So those changes are not going to happen immediately, but if you take your foot off the gas and you lose the momentum, they're never going to happen. 
So I think it's a combination of the two of like, hey, you set these expectations, you're going to do all these big things, and you're going to take, and then it's like, mm, we kind of done something. We hired a DNI person, but you know what? We didn't give him any budget, and we didn't give him any teams. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. exactly. So yeah, that's well, I and I think. One, Marcus, you mentioned this a couple of times, and so I just wanted to jump to a data point that we collected as well about giving people a voice. And so what we found in our study as well is that 35% of workers didn't feel like their opinions were taken into account. So that's over a third. And then when you start to peel back the data, it was even more pronounced with 40% of Black or African Americans and 41% of Hispanics saying that they didn't feel heard compared to 30% of or 32% of white workers. And then 40% of women felt like their opinions weren't taken into account compared to 28% of men. So what we're seeing is that probably for different groups who are looking for these diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging initiatives to really be pronounced, it seems like organizations really have a huge opportunity to more effectively listen to them. So when you're saying, hey, we're not, you know, it seems like the general feedback in the market is we're not doing that well. Are companies asking the people, well, why? What do you expect? Yeah, def definitely. I think, yeah, they're putting out the statements, maybe quite kind of hasty initially. <laughs> and this is what we think needs to be done. But to your point, if you had checked with your employees or had the conversations with individuals, then they would have felt like they contributed to it. So there's like, you actually get a positive output from that part. And then the second part is if it works, then those people are going to feel like they were part of the journey and they had changed yeah. things and, and driven stuff forward. So you've got to bring people along the journey. I think yeah. too many times, like this DE&I thing has been siloed. Mm -hmm. And let's, 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 let's like take a few steps back. So I was doing digital transformation for a long time. And what I found was like at the start, when you set up digital transformation, you've got to kind of take it away from the main organization and get it to a point where people say, oh, this is real. Like this now, this part of the company needs to be digitalized. Let's take e-commerce, for instance. We can make some revenue from driving sales online. Now, once the revenue starts to go up, people recognize that. Disney Plus mm -hmm. is a good example, I think, of that right now, right? So you've got the parks and then you continue. Then after that, it's like, well, this is doing well, but how do we merge it into the main business? And mm -hmm. I think DNI has been siloed as this separate thing, but ultimately it should be inclusive. I think it takes time mm -hmm. to get some momentum with it, but you've got to figure out how you plug it in. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense or, or resonates. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, definitely. I actually, I have to say, so I, I do some digital transformation work as well on a, on a much smaller scale than you, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, for us, it's about the, the transformation part, the culture part, right? Which means that it has to be kind of underlying. You have to have a culture that allows for change because digital transformation is all about doing your work differently, ultimately. Um, and and DEI is the same. Like you're, in order for your diversity efforts to have long term impact and be sustainable, there has to be a culture that respects, you know, otherness, for example, mm -hmm. or you know what I mean. Like it has to be like part of the foundation of how your culture and your workplace sort of 
works together. Otherwise, it is just statements. I mean, it's just like culture posters on the wall that don't mean anything. Right. right? right. It's like your pledge statement that sounded good at the time that it went out, but it's not reflected in the actual way that, you know, a company does things. Yeah. And, and look, I think that there's always two sides to the coin. So then there's a question of what can we do better within DEI generally? And mm-hmm. I think this is a, this is my point of view that the narrative has to shift from it's the right thing to do, it's the good thing to do, versus it can be a superpower and yeah. something that can help drive the organization forward. And that's what you started to see with digital transformation. It was like, oh, this thing's nice. It's a toy. We should do it. We should start to think about it. And then it's like, oh, this is actually where all our revenue is going to come from. And the point is, yeah, if you're inclusive and you're diverse, how many times do we hear on a stock market, diversify your portfolio? Yeah. Right? right. That's, that's, that's a standard term. Yeah? Diverse, yeah. Diversify your customer segmentation. Diversify your markets. Diversify your product sets. Diversify your people. Because they're going to have to come up with those ideas. Right. to help you drive forward so i think thinking of it how you bed that into that customer exchange engagement i was playing around the other day with um, one of our ai tools and i said and i asked it create a, a revenue driving de and i role and it came up with diversity profit driver but it gave me some good ideas on how to think through that right yeah and maybe and I, I posted it out online no one really picked up on it which was interesting because i also mm-hmm. think that there's a, a mindset from the DEI team internally as well, there's kind of there's been an association with with human resources as well, mm-hmm. which is okay, we operationalize, but we don't own a PL. Yeah. And that's another and we don't bring any money, thing. we're an expense, right? <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's a, it becomes a cost set, cost center versus a profit center. And, the, and, yeah. and look, you, I, I've see, I've started to see one or two organizations transform this a little bit where they've created a DEI practice. So if you're doing it well internally, you can then externalize that and i bet you in all of our businesses we could have there's a dni practice somewhere if you want to get into a new market a new segment hey diversify your portfolio diversify your product set but then when you're bringing those people in they've got to have different perspectives around and i've got Mm -hmm. so many points on this uh topic but yeah that's just like high level i know it could go in so (laughs) many directions sonia you're gonna have to rein us in no, but I mean, I think it's a good point because I, I see like one of my big things has been making bold moves and big decisions for organizations in general. Like I feel like especially inside of HR, because companies work with such sensitive information and sensitive decisions, there's apprehension to try something bold because what happens? But I think the reason, a big reason why we haven't seen as much progress as we want, I I don't know if this is the optimist in me, but I don't think it's because people don't care. I think it's because it's hard. These things, it's hard to solve it. And sometimes you see incremental gains, but it's frustrating because you put so much of your heart and soul into it. That like, for example, if you do an internal survey and you see 42 people are de- 42% of people are dissatisfied and the next year you see that it's maybe 39 or 38 and you're like, well, that sucks. But the thing is, you're moving the needle like you can change, especially if you're a large organization. It's really difficult to make a huge change right away. So like holding on to some of those things, but then also experimenting. And I love your example, Marcus, because it's like maybe sometimes it's about branding it and branding it and finding an example that's all of a sudden going to resonate differently with people to try something like I feel like we're at that inflection point. That's what we're going to have to do. Or otherwise, like it's better to 
inch towards something better than not at all. But man, it's going to take a really long time at that pace for us to get to a much better spot. So I think we've got to do both. I think we've got to try to do some like more tried and tested things, but then also try to make some big changes to see like, is it actually going to like make a difference? So I'll, 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 yeah, so I think that there's a lot of human nature tied to this. Um, and this, this is, this is my point of view and I'll, I'll maybe try and give a few examples. I heard someone the other day say that it's crazy that, um, people in, let's take San Francisco where there's a lot of homeless, you'll walk past a homeless person to go home to feed your dog. Right. And then there's another saying, turkeys don't vote for Christmas or Thanksgiving. (laughs) And I think that until you're impacted directly, whether that is you've gone through it yourself or you've had someone close to you or you have a family that is quote unquote diverse, whatever that may mean, and you're dealing with a situation, it doesn't hit the same. (laughs) And once it hits you, then you think, okay, like I'm going to make that motivation. So people also need an incentive to do that. And then I'll give another example. Um, somebody was talking to me this a while back around like uh, charities and why some charities find it difficult to raise money. And one of the main reasons, I don't know when it was, there was a big famous building in Paris that went down recently, I think got burned. It was one of the, uh, I don't know. If it was oh, there. it was Notre, Notre, Dame, no, Notre Dame Cathedral. Notre Dame. And then the amount of money they were able to fund for that to go back up and, and get supported. And the main reason was there was a start and then there was an end and people could see what was going to happen. Mm, so I think there's a, there's a culmination yeah. of being incentivized to do something. If you contribute to it, what is going to be the output as well? Yeah. And is it hitting you? Because if you yeah. walk past the Notre Dame every day and you're running past it or you're going for coffee every day and you live in that city and your family knows about it, you're going to, feel something towards that and then you're going to bring people along that journey so and that's why the momentum is really really important as well well and to that point i think part of the issue is that and i know you know this marcus that if you go to a a, you know let's say a session at a conference about diversity and equity um it's never the people in the room who should be listening to this right (laughs) it's always those of us who are already diverse (laughs) Like, but the people, you know, the people at the top of the food chain who are not the ones paying attention are the ones who should be in that session, but they never are. So until there's some reason like, you know, hitting the bottom line that it, you know, sparks their interest or a big enough kind of cultural moment that it sparks their attention, um, it makes it really difficult because they're so far removed from it. They don't see it. Yeah. And, and look, there's got to be a connective tissue there somewhere and what is that string is it because you've been impacted directly yourself um or you have a family member that is from maybe a diverse i'll I'll give an example so my my little brother he had a brain aneurysm so 15 Mm -hmm. years old um he was playing football he headed a football a blood vessel burst in his brain and he hasn't been able to see or walk or since he's 23 now now um from my standpoint prior to that happening, 
I knew nothing about brain aneurysms or brain tumors. Now, then I started doing a lot more research. I connected with a few people to support him. And I learned a lot about that because that, that happened. Now, maybe the way that I would have looked at somebody in that situation or something happened before would have been slightly different until it happened to me directly. So I'm not wishing that upon anyone, but that, that impacts you. And then, so I think yeah. then the people that need to be pulled into those rooms as, as we talk, the other way in without that happening is, is incentivizing. And then you become part of that journey. So even with what we're doing at EQ, we were helping a lot of direct employers and they kind of wanted to do stuff. They're moving forward. And what I realized is, look, if I, we spoke to the staff and recruiting companies where all that they need to make money and they need to make placements and we can help them grow their business, they're going to be more incentivized to do that. I don't care why they're doing it. What I know is that I'm going to get them more people from diverse backgrounds to have opportunities. And mm -hmm. in, in the end, that will start to grow as well. And they'll start to see as they interact with us more and more. So I think there's two sides. There's an emotional standpoint, the purpose, and then the incentive. And then, as Samia mm -hmm. said, the marketing and the brand as yeah. well. Well, and what was interesting to me, I think when, when we first got the results late last year and we were at a conference where we could see people's faces and reaction, I remember that one of the statistics we have is that 37% of people would leave an organization to become a part of a more inclusive culture. And eyes just widened when we said that number. Like I could tell people's like reactions were like, wow, I can't believe that. And that's one of the statistics that I think for people, to your earlier point, who are making decisions, who are looking at business bottom line, and you're diversifying your product and you're diversifying different things, well, retention is always a challenge. And at that point, we were already at the start of some layoffs and some of the economic downturns. So this wasn't when it was you know, flourishing and it's the job seekers market. And people still continue to say that today. Like they don't organizations need people to be successful and people don't want to be treated as a number anymore. They're looking for more. And I think to me also that moment coupled, I remember Marcus, you invited me to one of your sessions. There was a talent acquisition and recruitment roundtable, And I remember you explicitly asking this group of individuals who are responsible for recruitment, what is one of your biggest pain points? And they said retention. And I was like, well, wait a minute, am I in the wrong round table? <laughs> like, these people are not even, you know, like they're not, their KPIs are not necessarily on retention. They're on acquisition, but they could see that. They could see that some of their organizations might be a revolving door. And so to me, that number, I think really stuck out. And I think that um, what we're also seeing is the greatest likelihood to leave, again, was for Black and African Americans at 46%. So 37% of all employees are likely, would said they're likely to leave to become a part of a more inclusive culture, 46% of Black or African American employees. And so you start to think about, especially, I mean, any role, but especially a revenue generating role, and you're having this higher exodus. And I would bet that most organizations have no clue how much diversity and inclusion plays a role in that because I focus on exit surveys as a part of my job. And I've rarely or never seen an organization ask a person if that's the reason they're leaving. They're asking about pay. They're asking about benefits, yeah. location. Mm -hmm. So I think there's something really huge to unpack there. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, I think it's good to frame it based on when we took that survey because it wasn't the actual height and it was going towards the tail end. And so the cynic may say, which I think is true, 
okay, people would switch, but would you switch for a higher salary, right? So let's just throw something else out there. Mm -hmm. Would you switch? Maybe, depends on what the point is. Is it 5%, 10%, 20 whatever? There's a point, right? There's a breaking point. And I think understanding people's breaking points to ensure that your employees are happy is super Mm -hmm. important. And then the other thing I would say is, look, there are going to be companies that exist for a long time that are maybe not diverse, Mm -hmm. but are not going to be super successful. So this is probably for like the top 10, 20, 30% of companies that really want to make a difference and actually want to be competitive. It's not for everyone. And there's going to be reasons behind behind that. You might be a small business in a local area. There's four or five of you. You're not going to have a chief diversity officer, right? You're just going to do what you need to get done. In that, in that environment. But I think thinking about like an inclusive culture where you are happy to come to work or you're happy to put your effort in. You don't have to come no. to work if you're working remote. Because whatever, <laughs> if, if you have that feeling, the output that you put out for that organization is going to be far greater. So I think thinking no. about it like that to your point and then also from the retention standpoint of, wow, people would think about leaving if they're unhappy. We know that. What's mm-hmm. making them unhappy? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the salary. They would have actually been all right with that, but it's the way they've been talked to or the way they've been treated yeah. day to day or they don't feel they've got a voice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I, I remember an anecdotal conversation with one of my colleagues and this really like stuck with me is so question pro we're about 300 employees. So we're not a tiny business, but we're not huge by any means. But we're really a global organization, especially for a company of that size. We're like just about on every continent and all of the teams, even within the teams are diverse. Like I always mention for those who listen, like I sit in Buenos Aires, Argentina. I'm originally from Serbia. I spend time living in London, a few places in the U.S. I have a team in U.S. I have a team in Mexico. I have a person in Spain, in India. I work closely with Germany. And to me, I, I always love that because just my upbringing was, you know, international. But we had a colleague who was out of the US, like Midwest. And I remember one day in our one-on-one, he said like, Sonia, I just love being here because never in a million years that I think I would learn so much about different people being at this company and in this team. And I thought, wow, that's phenomenal. And he was like, I don't know, like white middle-aged, like younger, I don't know, like with age it's different. I'm in my forties now, I'm like, I'm still young. <laughs> I don't know. Um, But anyways, probably similar age to me. And to me, that resonated so much. And he didn't necessarily like seek out an organization or a team like this, but just him expressing how much he enjoyed being a part of that culture. And so for me, I think about as organizations, I always talk about this ripple effect that organizations can have. And Marcus, to your point, like being personally impacted, that cannot resonate more with me because as somebody who has thought of myself as like a conscientious person an open person like I've judged people before for things they've done until I done them and I was like oh my god I can't believe I just did that like I can't and then and then I got it I got how somebody could do something that I thought was so unspeakable and think about until I was in their shoes but what terrifies me is that we if we wait for that snowball effect we're going to be waiting like hundreds of years because there's not as much crossover like that. Um, but if organizations can start to think about, again, that recruitment, and this gentleman's just single anecdotal story, like how much not only impact professionally that it had on him, but personally, because he got to learn so much about people 
and different backgrounds, like personally and professionally that he never thought he knew before, that the way he showed up as a father, as a husband, as a son changed in his life too. And the, the stories that he shared with others. Um, so I think that organizations can think about that. Like, how do you in some ways orchestrate, even inside your organization, how can you orchestrate connections that maybe necessarily wouldn't happen naturally because you gravitate towards your own team and people that you work on a project with. Sometimes it's a diverse group, probably more often than not in some way, shape or form, it's more uniform because it's either all engineers or all salespeople. Um, but I think there is just such a huge opportunity there. And I'm hopeful that the more we see around these retention numbers, that somehow it's going to click. Because again, if we wait for those personal stories, like they're so incredibly impactful. And maybe like with younger generations, like in some of the studies we've looked at, we definitely see more desire from younger organizations to be in diverse cultures to start with, that inclusion is more important to them. But again, by the time we wait for them to be like CEOs and executives, like I'm not going to be in the workforce anymore. I don't want to wait that long. Yeah, look, I, I think sort of old saying, variety is a spice of life, right? Yeah. And cross-functional teams, sales doesn't respect marketing. Marketing doesn't respect sales until they sit down yeah. together <laughs> with each other on an ongoing basis and understand what yeah. you do. Yeah. Right. And it's like product doesn't respect engineering but they're so close to each other. And then once they sit down and they realize what each other does, then, then they get it. And also even in your career, if you've had the opportunity to do all of the different roles, if you've done a bit of product and you've done a bit of sales and a bit more, you respect that. And then that's also what Mm -hmm. makes you a great leader because you can talk the language of those individuals. So it's the same thing. Like you have to build bonds in networks that you're maybe not in. And then to your point, organizations can be more deliberate about building those bonds in different ways. There's a geography diversity, there's an ethnicity diversity, there are some hidden ones that people might not want to talk about, and you can think of environments to bring people together. But I think yeah. too many times, a lot in DNI, and this is also a thing that's a bit hard, and I haven't really figured this out. A lot of it happens in silos and there's a segregation Mm -hmm. so even with these ergs which i think you need a resource for people to be able to communicate but then some people are oh why am i not part of that well this is not for you this is not a group for you (laughs) but then it's like well how do i learn if i'm not part of the group well i don't know if you're learning or if you're spying right like so a lot of this unfortunately and i think there's a lot of things that can come bottom up but this is why we focused on leaders before but i think this has to be top down It has to really be a top-down approach across the organization to build cross-functional and diverse teams. Yeah. And that that that's that's for anything that we're doing. And diversity can mean so many different things in different areas and locations, um, as we talked Mm -hmm. about as well. So yeah, it needs to be a a visible commitment to to you know incorporating these practices. Being accountable. Right. So yeah. it can be like we said, it, they, people can talk about it, but then how do you measure it? And that's, I think, another thing that's a challenge, even for the DNI leaders, like, how am I measured? How do I know if I'm doing well? Yeah. It was the same thing for digital transformation. How do you mm. know if it's going well? What is the, what is the measure? Who's incentivized to do this? Are the leaders incentivized mm. for this? 
Right, so so the other yeah. thing, again, it boils down to incentives. If the executive committee are not incentivized to do d it's not going to work. What's the point in having a chief diversity officer? Because you're never going to really yeah. call them to speak to them about anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's really true. Um, so to start to wind us down, unfortunately, I always <laughs> love these conversations. Um, there's some really, really positive things that we found in our study, too. So I just wanted to make sure that with all of these challenges and opportunities, we um, start to wrap up on a positive note. So three key stats that we found. 83% of workers say they find it easy to work with colleagues that have different perspectives. And this was equally true across races and genders. 87% said that during their career, they have learned a great deal from colleagues who had different backgrounds than them. And 90% of workers say that they enjoy learning from colleagues from different perspectives. And again, all of this was consistent across different races. Um, so there's a lot of good in there too. People enjoy each other. People feel like they find value in each other. People feel like they've overall had positive experiences. Um, I guess to, to wrap us, to start to wrap us up, I would love to hear from both of you. How do you think organizations can maybe ask their people and leverage this as a, as a positive emotion in an area where there's still so much opportunity to be better? How can we take this information as, as a fuel for something that's positive that's out there. So going back to variety being the spice of life, you can see that individuals, they want to have the opportunity to connect, mm -hmm. meet with and communicate with people from different backgrounds because they learn. And if you've got an L and D department, the other way that you can learn instead of you can do courses, you can go to school, you can study, but it's by speaking to people. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad said this to me years ago, is like travel is the best form of education. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't get, have a chance to travel, people can come to you and give you their perspective on what they've learned. Mm -hmm. So I think making a deliberate, really, really deliberate kind of um, campaign, I would use as the term, to build community inside of your organization and go into EQ community. This is why we exist. I think that that would mm -hmm. be really, really um, something that will really, really drive transformation and change in a way that you've never seen before. I love it. From my perspective, I would just say, um, you know, as a, as a culture consultant, a culture person, mm -hmm. it's always down to culture, right? But you completely hit the nail on the head because for us, what matters is building a culture of learning specifically. If you have learning as a, one of your foundational kind of principles, then the door is open to, to, you know, more diverse voices. Like it's, it just, it, it's almost like a natural you know, hand in hand kind of thing. Um, yeah. And I do think, and your data clearly shows, it comes naturally to people to want to learn from others. You know, these like yeah. really great numbers about people who enjoy learning from different perspectives. Like, yes, let's just do more of that, right? <laughs> and then, of course, it's down to, you know, some of us to make the business case for it, right? To continue to persuade um the people at the top who need persuading <laughs> until um, nobody needs to be persuaded anymore. And everybody <laughs> knows how important it is and how good for us all it is. 
Well, thank you. Thank you both so much, Marcus. It's been such a pleasure to work with you on this study. I think we found so many important things and thank you for your perspective and insights and examples today. And Maddie, thank you for all the color commentary and adding to this important discussion. And for anyone that wants to see the whole report, there's a link in the description of the episode. And of course, feel free to reach out to any of us. Um, It's going to take a lot of us who are this passionate to make a big change, but we have our our group, um, we're out there. And so the more conversations we can have, I think the, the more strides we can have. So thank you so much, Marcus, again. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you to all of our listeners. And we'll see you all again very soon. Thanks for having me. In addition to being the Empowering Workplaces host, I'm also the president of Question Pro Workforce. And I wanted to tell you a bit more about it because it so brilliantly aligns with our concept of empowerment. At Question Pro Workforce, we help organizations across the world better connect with their employees. We do this through continuous listening survey technology, as well as sharing our deep knowledge and expertise to help our clients know what questions to ask to most deeply connect with their workforce and take impactful action on data and insights they collect. Learn how Question Pro Workforce can be a great partner on your path to creating a really outstanding employee listening strategy and a remarkable organizational culture at questionpro.com backslash workforce.